0: there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zachariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zachariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time." Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home soon afterwards his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months how kind the Lord is she exclaimed he has taken away my disgrace of having no children personal experience is reflected in some of the articles in the daily papers particularly in the English papers but a couple of weeks ago as I was reading um, online version of one of the daily papers, they talked about something that rang a real bell of recollection for myself. They were talking about what they called the great furniture delay. This was the impact of both the pandemic and Brexit on the ordering and buying habits of the British public who were finding it difficult to order, not so much to order, but to receive their wardrobes, their chests of drawers, their dining tables, all these things that previously they'd taken for granted. Now they were waiting not just weeks or months, but sometimes even longer. And I know in our home, we had some planned work in our home for one of our rooms. We ordered some items in May, 2021, and our hope and expectation is that we will finally receive and see all those items in May, 2022. (laughs) I'm not sure whether that's persistence or foolishness, depending on who you talk to in my family, but I'm determined to get those items. Waiting is something we've all had to do to a greater extent since March, 2020, when this pandemic made its impact And waiting can be challenging at times, it can be frustrating, but waiting can be even more difficult on occasions. One of the things that can make waiting easier is if we know the definite end, if we know when the waiting will come to a conclusion. I know that I can get out my phone this morning, I have an app on it which will tell me that there are so many days, uh, hours, minutes, and seconds until Christmas Day not just six sleeps until Christmas, but down to the very second. And it's easier to cope with waiting when we know when it will end. What's not so easier is when we have no sense of when the waiting will come to a conclusion, when the things that are hoped for and anticipated are on the long finger, perhaps almost indefinitely. And I don't know about you, but as I've listened to the news and watched on our television screens in this last week, and as we've heard the news of this new variant that's coming, something that three weeks ago we wouldn't have anticipated. It seems like we're almost anticipating another sense of waiting, another time of having to wait. And maybe we've spent much of the last couple of years waiting, waiting for life to go back to normal, whatever that will mean for us, whether it's the way that we work, the way that we socialize, the way that we see our families, the way we worship we feel we're waiting again and again. And waiting is a part of life and is certainly part of Christian discipleship. Elizabeth and Zechariah knew what it was to wait. Our passage tells us they were both very old and they had no children. We believe that they were probably in their 60s, however long they had been married. For Zechariah and Elizabeth's families this was the one thing that stood out for them. They had no children. In many other ways, their lives were perfect. If you looked at them from the outside, there was so much that was good and positive. They came from good families. Zechariah had a position of respect and honor in his community. But we know that they wanted children. And for them, that was a disappointment but it was also a sense of waiting, for we know that they prayed. When Gabriel spoke to Zechariah, he said, God has heard your prayer. So whether it was years or maybe even decades, Zechariah and Elizabeth had been waiting. We can only speculate, but perhaps with confidence that as each year passed and maybe each decade passed, that waiting became more difficult. As members of their family and their friends came along and announced a pregnancy, as they brought along a healthy boy or girl and the family and community celebrated, Zechariah and Elizabeth would have been there, yes, delighted for those whom they loved and cared for, but still carrying in their heart a sense of disappointment, a sense still of waiting. Waiting was difficult for Zechariah and Elizabeth, and it is difficult for us too. Sometimes we pray and ask God for things, something we know to be good, something that other people seem to have received with no effort, with no hard work, with no anticipation. But our prayers are met with silence. The season of Advent we're in is a season of anticipation and waiting. And here in the story of this godly couple, we see that waiting stretches from seconds and minutes to years and decades, how wary they had become. Yes, we know the end of the story. We know that it ended well, that God gave them a son, that their son was someone so special he played a unique part in the story of salvation. But they didn't know that. In all those years, they didn't know, they waited. And I wonder if we were to ask them this morning, what would they tell us about being in a season of waiting? I think the first thing they would tell us is that when we're waiting, when we feel that God is not answering our prayers or has put us in that waiting room, the first thing we should do is keep doing what we should be doing. Keep doing what we should be doing We know from our passage that Zechariah was serving in the temple. His order was on duty that week. It was his time to be there and to do that. And so Zechariah was doing what he should be doing. He was obeying God in the call on his life. He was working to provide for his family. He was serving. He was doing what he should be doing. I think sometimes for some of us, when we're waiting, we can be tempted just to think that life's on hold, that everything has to wait until our prayer is answered. We're not sure what to do, and so we just stand like that startled rabbit in the headlamps. On January the 8th next year, it will have been 65 years since Jim Elliot, who was a missionary to Ecuador, was killed as he and four friends took the gospel of Jesus to some Native American tribes. A tribe that was unreached had never heard about Jesus. And as Jim and his friends took the good news, they were met not with welcomed arms or even with questioning looks, but with spears. And five of them were killed. And Jim left behind a wife called Elizabeth, also Elizabeth. And Elizabeth tells of in the weeks, months after his death, a sense of uncertainty as to what she should do. She had a young child. Should she stay in Ecuador and serve God there? Or should she look for something else to do? She was in that waiting time. And as she prayed, she tells a story of how somehow God brought to her attention a prayer, a poem, that was believed to originally hung on the wall of a vicarage in England. And the poem was entitled, Do the Next Thing. And it goes like this. Do it immediately. Do it with prayer. Do it reliantly, casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before thee with earnest command, stayed on omnipotence, safe neath his wing. Leave all resultings and do the next thing. And I think Elizabeth and Zechariah would say to you and I, if we're waiting this morning, as we all are waiting, Do the next thing. Do what we should be doing. I think they would also say then to keep praying. Oh, but you say to me, Colin, surely that's obvious. They're in a situation of waiting on God. They're desperate. Of course they're going to pray. But I wonder, is it obvious? Do we not find it easier to pray and ask God in those early hours and days, and maybe even weeks, but what about when it extends beyond that? When the heavens are silent, when as one preacher said, our prayers dribble down our chin, down the front of our shirt, and land in a puddle on the ground. Is it not more challenging and difficult to keep praying when we have not heard from God, and when we're tempted to give up, Mark broke up, and I apologize for the pronunciation of his name there, it may not be right, but he wrote a book recently called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And he does a wonderful job in that book of explaining the Psalms of lament and the place of lament in the story of Christians. And he said, lament is a type of prayer. It's a special type of prayer, and the Psalms are full of them. The prayer of lament is the prayer of the believer who knows with assurance that God is good, who knows that God has promised to bless them, who knows that God is a God-answering and a God-hearing prayer, but yet still their prayers are unanswered, or the circumstances that follow seem totally contrary to those those prayers, perhaps even to strike them down. And Vogrop in his book says... The temptation for many of us is when we prayed those prayers for so long and heard nothing, still waiting, is to give up. He talks about giving God the silent treatment. We cease to pray, at least in our hearts. We still may observe the ritual. We still may do our readings. We still may engage in worship, but our heart is no longer communicating with our Father. We're no longer expressing that pain and frustration and disappointment. And he says in his book, giving God the silent treatment is the ultimate manifestation of unbelief. Despair lives under the hopeless recognition, resignation. Despair lives under the hopeless resignation that God doesn't care. He doesn't hear, and nothing is ever going to change. People who believe this, he said, stop praying. Have we ever been tempted to stop praying? To say, God doesn't care. He doesn't hear. Nothing's ever going to change. I think Elizabeth and Zechariah, would say to us as pilgrims in faith today, don't give up praying. Keep asking. And if you find you're unable to do it yourself, get others who will pray with you. Ask them to assist you as you hold out your arm of prayer. So I think they would say to us, keep doing the right thing. Keep praying. And then I think finally they would say this, and this is perhaps the most difficult of all, they would say, keep trusting. Keep trusting God. When we as a family joined this church, one of the songs that we learned is a song that, that has become so precious to us. And the words of it go like this. There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And you meet us in our mourning with a love that casts out fear. You're working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. You're working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. I think Zechariah and Elizabeth, if they were here this morning, would say, he's working while you wait. We didn't see that. We waited so long. We doubted. We struggled. Zechariah struggled, didn't he, even when Gabriel spoke to him? What an encouragement to know that even when Zechariah doubted, God still kept his promise. But they would say, God works in our waiting we don't always see it, but God is working his plans and his purposes out. I don't know whether you used to watch many years ago the television series The A-Team it used to be on on a Saturday evening. There was a group of American heroes who each episode had a problem to solve, and they would go and they would plan and they would put together wonderful contraptions with no equipment, and, and everything would work out. At the end, or towards the end of each episode, the captain of the team, Hannibal Smith, played by George Peppard, used to say, I love it when a plan comes together. I love it when a plan comes together. Brothers and sisters, I think God says to us, I love it when a plan comes together. It may not seem so today. It may not have seemed so for so long but it is coming together and it will. Elizabeth and Zechariah discovered that God was working in their waiting and he blessed them. What joy and happiness to have John. God is gracious. What a testimony of Zechariah when he finally admitted at the end that God had been working. God is gracious. He is working out, and God was not only working in their lives, but hear this, God was working in the world, in their waiting. So for us who wait today, the question is, what are we waiting for in our lives? It may be, sadly, for an appointment with a consultant. It may be for a job. It may be for an illness to respond to medication. It may be to see our children or our grandchildren. What is it we're waiting for? Know this, God is working in our waiting. And know this even more, God is working in our world. And he will work in our families and in our friends, with our neighbors and our colleagues, because that is how he does it. He works while we wait. He works in our lives. And he works in the lives of those around us. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, so much to teach us. To keep doing the right thing, to keep praying, and to keep trusting. We're going to shortly share in the table of the Lord. And we are God's waiting people. We celebrate next weekend the first coming of Jesus. And as we share in the table, we wait with anticipation because Jesus is coming back. And he will come this time with glory and sorrow and pain and sighing and death and separation will end. Do we yearn for that as we look at our lives as we look at our community and our country, as we think of, of the stories in the news this week, do you not watch it and think, Lord, come back soon? The cry of the early Christians, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. So as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we declare he is coming. We are awaiting people with a God who works. Let's pray.